So I'm joined by author Chris Morgan, who is the author of the Nickelodeon 90s cartoons, game shows, and a whole bunch of slime. It was released earlier this year. Thank you very much for being on the podcast, Chris. Tell me, how did you get into Nickelodeon? Well, it was just, you know, the nature, I guess, of the beast when I was a kid, you know, back in the 90s when, you know, the idea of a kid being raised by television wasn't considered so, you know, verboten, like, you know, I'd be able to watch TV growing up. And so I get home from school and then, like, you know, my parents don't want me to watch things that were appropriate for a kid. So, like, you know, Nickelodeon, like, we happen to have cable. So Nickelodeon, I watched and I gravitated towards that. And so it just feel like, and it was, you know, before streaming everything. So just be like, all right, I'll put Nickelodeon on when I get home from school or in the summer. And I'll just have it on because, you know, there's only so many channels and there's not like streaming options. It's like if you want to watch like a movie or watching like, some old VHS. And so it just, it just became ingrained to my childhood. You know, I, I took to watching television. I love television still now, obviously. I mean, I just wrote a book about it. So that's probably not surprising, but just, I just love watching TV and Nickelodeon has had the shows that, I one shows I loved also the shows that were just on because I mean I'm sure like a lot of people grew up in the 90s remember just watching things because they were on TV not because you necessarily liked them but because you watched them because they were there like you know like how one climbs a mountain because it's there you watch you know um like uh my brother and me uh, on Nickelodeon because it was on at that time. There must be some, and I, I read the synopsis for your book, and you say like the good stuff, the bad stuff, the kind of weird things that went out there, and you make reference there to just watching what was on. Was there anything that was particularly popular that in hindsight is just not as good as it could be? Hmm, well, I've, you know never been the biggest fan of um Ren Stimpy, for example, which is, you know, like one of the, you know, the first Nicktoons and like, you know, very popular show at the time, like, cause well, partially for kids, cause it was, you know, a little more risque, so to speak. And just going like back watching that and uh, it really is just sort of like, if you like, it's just like, if you like something being gross, yeah, you can like enjoy it. But it was really, there wasn't, I guess there's some absurdity to it I can appreciate, but it just really does not hold up as well necessarily. And there's also something about watching the old game shows, which is less about the quality, but it's just strange as an adult to go back and say, watch a Legends of the Hidden Temple or something like that. And you're watching it and you're just like, oh, I'm watching like some 11 year old try and solve something that seems super like understandable to me now as like an adult. It's just, feels very strange to think, oh, they're not that good at this. And it makes sense as a kid, you don't realize it because you're on the same level as them. But there's just something about like watching like an old game show, like a Legends of the Hidden Temple or a Guts as an adult, that just, it feels strange. And so it's not as much about being like, oh, I, this does not really hold up. It's more like, uh, oh, the experience doesn't hold up. It's like, I don't have the same experience and I can clearly tell why. It's because I've got this completely different perspective than I had when I was a kid. Yeah. And there are other things that have endured, you know, which you can still enjoy now as an adult. I mean, Rugrats uh, springs to mind. That's kind of the top of that list. Rugrats uh, is not at the top of my personal list, but certainly that one's got a long legacy. I mean, it lasted for so long. It was just so popular. 
Although not at first, one of the things I uh, noted in the book was that it sort of became popular just through almost like sheer force of will by Nickelodeon. They started just showing it in repeats over and over. And they noticed that it, the ratings started picking up. It's like kids like found it. And that was like, you know, so and then it became like a staple that lasted for super long. They made movies out of it. They did their all grown up and they originally brought it back for Paramount Plus uh, here in the United States. Uh, like a new version with a different kind of animation, even stranger than the classic classic Chupo animation used in the uh, original. But definitely some of the shows uh, hold up. Um, I'm a particularly a fan of uh, Adventures of Pete and Pete, which uh, I feel like very much holds up uh, into like, you know, adult eyes. And also that's, a, that's one of the ones where watching it as an adult, you can even get a different perspective on it because it was a little, you know, more, highbrow, I guess, is not a completely inappropriate word, but, like, it just had a more sort of, like, oh, I can see sort of, like, jokes, like, interspersed in here that are maybe for adults or older kids who are, are watching, and also one that I found that hold up uh, pretty well, surprisingly well, even when I revisited was Keenan and Kel, which I remember watching as a kid, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good show. I went back watching and like, oh, you can see why they were the like, sort of the breakouts from all that because it, I could just they had sort of like those acting skills or those like they, you know they're like doing like solid sitcom acting here. They're not like it doesn't feel like kid actor acting. It's, oh no, it's like especially I watch like you know uh, Cal like doing like his sort of thing. It's like and like you know Keenan Moore doing his sort of straight uh, uh, man thing. They're dynamic. And like, oh, no, I can definitely see like they know what they're doing. Like it, it made sense. They gave them their own show, and it makes sense why you know. Keenan Thompson and, you know, went on to be a Saturday Live for so many years. They definitely were, you know, standout, you know, child actors. And those shows, and you refer to Rugrats as being repeated, I mean, certainly in the UK, and this is where the divide might come, uh, those shows were run into the ground uh, over and over again. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, you can definitely we'd get some of that, maybe a little bit less of that here uh, but they definitely were big on reruns. They were not, one of the things they did not like doing was having series finales because what they liked to do was be able to just show a show on repeat and they didn't want that note of like finality. So like shows didn't really get, and they were never announced, well not never announced, but a lot of times like you would like find out a show was ending because they would just be like, well, we just want to keep showing episodes and keep, you know, doing new episodes and keep, uh, or keep like, you know, doing the repeats. And so there's a lot of sort of like a sense of like a perpetual sort of like motion machine that sort of like uh, eternal like sort of return with uh, the way they would uh, do their programming for sure. Uh, maybe, you know, slightly less. Because I know here's a, did you guys have a stick stickly over in the United Kingdom? I want to say no, but I'm sure a listener will tell me otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, because in our summers here in the United States, and just in case uh, uh, for anybody who was listening who remembers it or don't because uh, they didn't have it, um, basically the summers they would do this uh, block of programming in the afternoons uh, that was hosted by Stick Stickley, who was this uh, little popical, popsicle stick puppet. They put a little couple uh, googly eyes on him, a little nose on him, and it was just like a poorly done sort of puppet with like a falsetto voice. And he basically hosted the afternoon viewing he would introduce shows and he'd introduce like episodes and they would like do little games with him there's like a thing called um like dipstick 
where like somebody like would somebody be like, oh, I want to have like, you know, stick stickly dipped into like a mix of like uh, guacamole and grape jelly. And they'd like do a whole production where like they put like a, you know, a blindfold on this little puppet and put him in like dip him into like the mixture, the concoction. And he was supposed to, you know, guess what it was or what have you. And just like, just like this was, that was like sort of like, that was uh, my summers is like, you know, during that period of the nineties are like defined by, you know, a stick stickly. And uh, as like, you know, uh, a host on Nickelodeon, uh, basically like, you know, he was uh, the like primary sort of like host figure on Nickelodeon really uh, for a few years there, at least here in the United States in the summer. And so that's, you know, something that hopefully you know, some people, uh, you know, will remember, but uh, there's a chapter in the book dedicated to the Nick in the Afternoon block at Stick Stickly. So for those people, you can get a little Stick Stickly. And if you don't know Stick Stickly, then you'll learn something from the book, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I mean, on, on the subject of the book, what research did you do on the subject? Because obviously you had your own memories but in order to write something of that type, you do need to go a little bit further. What did you do? Uh, definitely. Uh, well, I, one, I had to revisit basically every show covered in the book, including some shows that I, you know, didn't remember. In case some cases, shows I didn't even really watch when I was a kid. I, I happened to miss them because of like my age or what have you. So I had not seen this. There is a show called Skate TV, which is basically this like skateboarding docu series sort of thing that was on the early 90s actually one of the hosts was a young Matthew Lillard it's like Matthew Lillard's first gig was uh was one of the hosts of the skate tv show so I, I uh went back watched all the shows uh and then I was you know I just had to you know read articles I had to read about the history of the network and you know read about production of different shows there's you know well, there's some information about that sort of stuff uh uh there on uh the internet or like and you know so just like reading, make sure I had like some research about like shows and like their production and learning about some of the facts that went into them and like, you know, checking out uh, production credits on the shows using like, you know, an IMDb or what have you. Just making sure I was familiar with the shows and the people responsible for the shows and some of the sort of the, the network history stuff that goes back to the late 70s and the very early days of cable uh, where this basically started like as this thing basically called pinwheel that sort of like eventually years into the 80s became uh, what became Nickelodeon, which then sort of like became the Nickelodeon we came to know in the 90s. So there was like a good like progression of basically a decade before it, the wheels really started spinning and started to get there. I looked some of this up beforehand and that is the case. It's an interesting thing, but you see, I, I remember Nickelodeon as this satellite channel uh, in the UK in the 90s, uh, just just this thing that played this original programming, but there were also a lot of stuff bought from other things. I mean, we were talking beforehand, before the interview, about Nick at Night, uh, which was kind of like a rerun section. Is there a, p a piece in the book about that? Yeah, I also did, I did a chapter for Nick at Night because I just felt it was like, uh, important to like sort of the Nickelodeon, well, Nickelodeon as a network and also sort of like, even like the experience of being a kid in the 90s watching Nickelodeon, I'm sure a lot of people would just keep it on on a weeknight and be watching uh, Nick, at, Nick at Night as well, which was, yeah, basically it was like a repository for old sitcoms because uh, it's sort of just the kind of the genesis of was that 
in the early days of cable, basically Nickelodeon wouldn't be on 24 hours a day, basically. It would be like it shared a network with, I believe it's a network that became E, which is like an entertainment thing, but I'm not 100% certain off the top of my head. But then eventually it became its own network and they needed more programming and they just decided they'd get into basically rerunning old sitcoms. I believe the first one, I believe, is because they had um, just basically all of this old 50 sitcom called the Don Reed Show. They just had the rights to it. They owned it and they're like, well, we can show that. And it's like, then they started, you know, getting more old sitcoms. So a lot of like shows that were classic shows before my time, I was introduced to watching them in the 90s on Nickelodeon. Like, you know, I Love Lucy was like a staple and like Bewitched was a staple and some other shows that maybe aren't so much like a classic sitcoms, like an F Troop or a, uh, I think maybe show the Patty Duke show a little bit. Uh, but like, so yeah, Mr. Ed was on there. I sort of, but yeah. So that was like the Nickelodeon experience. Like during the day, you'd get home from school, you'd watch, you know, the shows for kids. But then at night, you'd be like, you know, family friendly. They'd always be like family friendly sitcoms, of course, because it would still be like, now like parents can watch the shows from their youth with their kids. And that was like a big part of the Nickelodeon experience. So it was definitely, I dedicated a chapter to that. And I also dedicated a chapter to Nick Jr., the um, like, early morning or the morning, like early afternoon programming for like uh, smaller children, basically preschool children who weren't going to school. Like there was like, you know, Eureka's Castle or uh, Lego's Window. That was like quasi-educational. And uh, so that, those shows only are, they're, you know, sort of put off into their own singular chapter. And then like all the Nickelodeon shows proper, so to speak, all get their own chapter. Uh, and then like, you know, those other blocks are given a, a chapter as well. So it sounds pretty extensive, um, but do you cover uh, Nickelodeon uh, in any of the other countries other than the U United States, or is it United States focused? It's it's definitely focused on what you know this sort of experience was in the United States in terms of like uh, what was airing here, and I'm sure some of the shows you know were aired uh, elsewhere, but that's definitely you know just based on my personal experience and sort of like the information I had, like, it's not as much like, you know, at least not from what I was able to find the information that, I mean, so I guess United States and Canada, because a lot of, at least here, early programming on Nickelodeon was from Canada, basically. Like they were like taking shows from Canada, like uh, you uh, can't do that on television. Or I believe that the sort of teen soap 15 was like a Nickelodeon co-production with a Canadian network. And so it's basically, I guess it's very sort of focused on, you know, what the United States and on uh, Canada. As, uh, and then, I mean, there, but there was some shows I know that they did take from other countries here and just sort of like Americanize them. Like uh, they would show old episodes of this show that I know is David the Know, but it was apparently a Spanish cartoon that, that uh, they took brought to the United States, you know, called it David the Gnome, overdubbed the, you know, animation, because you can do that easier with animation, obviously. I mean, they did it with Japanese anime for many years. And so it is it is definitely more United States focused, but uh, hopefully people elsewhere will at least have enough of, you know, if you, you know, I mean, you can look at the table of contents for the book to see the sort of shows that are covered. So if you're like worried, like, oh, it's not going to cover the things I know, uh, you can sort of like check that out and see what shows are covered. I believe there's like roughly 50 shows covered, maybe a little under 50 shows covered, plus the other chapters. And hopefully, you know, will be enough of a trip down memory lane slash, you know, 
informative sort of read. And maybe you can find out about some shows that you didn't watch because there's certainly, like I said, some stuff that I hadn't really seen before I, uh, you know, checked out them out for the, the book that was, you know, interesting to me. Uh, not necessarily the many of the Well, actually, there's a couple of them that were actually good uh, shows that I hadn't really seen. Like, there's this old uh, game show, Think Fast, which I think actually this is not necessarily a common opinion. I think maybe the best of the Nickelodeon game shows is Think Fast, which I wasn't even really familiar with until I registered for the book. And now I, I think it definitely, it, it could be, it's in the running. It's, you know, people may say Gus or Legend in the Temple, but I say don't sleep on Think Fast. You're talking old Nickelodeon game shows. I love it when you go back and look at something and you go, oh, actually, that's better than perhaps uh, people give it credit for. The only reason I ask you the previous question is because in this country, we had Nick Jr., in the morning uh, and then in the afternoon it was children's bbc on nickelodeon where they had uh, the the children's bbc guys come into nickelodeon and play out some of their shows and then went into standard nickelodeon in the evening and i i just wondered whether uh, there was anything like that you know did you have like nbc on nickelodeon or any, anything of that nature uh, to the best of my recollection, it was just Nickelodeon all through the day. It would be Nick Jr. and then it would be you know Nickelodeon, and then at night it'd be Nick at night, and then maybe like and then like even like in the very early well in the very early mornings they would sometimes do this they'd air things as part of what was called like cable in the classroom, which was basically like informative programming, educational programming. But the premise of that was that they wanted basically teachers to um, basically record this stuff they were showing at like four, five, six in the morning when nobody's up watching TV and they, they don't care about ratings, but all right, teachers record this while it's on. We'll be able to, we can air it without like ads or whatever, cause it's, you know, educational programming and we're doing it under this premise called cable in the classroom, like this, you know, government supported thing. And then you can tape this and then you can show it in like, like classrooms. But beyond that, I mean, like, we had also like I don't I don't know if they would have that. You know, there was a show called Nick News with Linda Ellerby we had here, which is basically an educational like news program for kids that uh, won Emmys here. Uh, that was a uh, part of Nickelodeon here. That was sort of like uh, part of the whole educational process thing. But yeah, no, there was no breaking in of like other networks or anything here. It was just at least by like the '90s when Nickelodeon was like had built itself as its own entity. It was no longer like part of like a different sort of like amalgamation channel uh, from the early days of what cable was. Ah, it, interesting. Yeah, I, I just wondered. Um, but I, I should ask this, and I know fans will be wanting to know, fans of the podcast will be wanting to know, did you at any point in writing the book cover the Nickelodeon show Renford Rejects? Now, see, that's something I don't think we had here in the United States. Possibly, because I've never, I don't think I recall hearing of Renford Rejects. Well, it was the first Nickelodeon show to be made in Britain. Mm. And yeah, it, yeah, it's it's very British. I mean, it's based around uh, soccer. So yeah, mm, probably, okay. probably yeah. wouldn't have gone over too well. Yeah, no, definitely might be something they did not choose to uh, you know, bring over here. I mostly it seems like at least here in the United States there's a lot of United States stuff, a lot of Canada stuff. So anything that's like specifically United Kingdom esque like that is probably not necessarily gonna 
be because in the it's like not even like when you're looking at sort of like well the history of like Nickelodeon or what have you like that sort of like stuff doesn't even really like come up like even like from like Nickelodeon itself maybe if I like, was looking at some specific like Nickelodeon UK thing or something like that it might do that but like that sort of information is not really like part of like the sort of like history as written by Nickelodeon even here so yeah that's not something that's really uh part of like the Nickelodeon ex experience here uh but that sounds interesting and now I'm gonna have to like look into that and <laughs> see what that's sort of all about because yeah it's clear that you know the Nickelodeon experience in the United States and you know the United Kingdom was maybe you know wider than even some people may have like realized before this conversation including myself <laughs> you know it's just like it's definitely, they, they were, you know, obviously there's a lot of overlap, similar networks, similar ethos of being like, this is like the network for children, which was when Nickelodeon began was like a new idea that sort of then became more, you know, commonplace. But obviously they gave some sort of like a, a leeway to other countries, I suppose. I bet if I looked into like, you know, Canada and Nickelodeon, there'd be a little bit of some difference there beyond, you know, uh, one may have been there in other countries as well. So they definitely, you know, were uh, playing to local markets and some people got stick stickly and some people got, you know, Renford rejects. And it's, uh, you know, Nickelodeon's got in its 90s history is fast and, you know, uh, more complicated than one might think. <laughs> I think so, yeah. Uh, when when looking at that vast history, do, do you have like a favorite show? that uh, that you've you've covered from the 90s and to give you a little bit of time to think because you mentioned that there's over 50 shows that you covered my personal favorites i love doug and and hey arnold in particular hey arnold is so underrated um you know people often remember the introduction uh, mm -hmm. the the uh, the opening titles but the show itself was so groundbreaking and at times could be wittier than more adult animation counterparts and i and obviously the at least one of the guys from memory went on to create recess yeah Harold hey is one i will say that when i revisited it was a little i had a more a positive sort of response to it than i like i remember the way i watched hey Arnold, it was like a solid sort of show it was good. It was like, you know, like a favorite of mine growing up or whatever. But when I revisited, say, oh, this is like a bit sharper and like, you know, better than I remember it being. But in terms of like my my favorites, uh, uh, I uh, my favorite of the various uh, Nickelodeon cartoons would be Rocco's Modern Life. Uh, that was the one when I was a kid. It was my favorite. And now I still probably would call it my favorite. It's, you know, it was that uh, L-Town with that. that was like fun and like, this like a... Uh, really sort of like it sort of went in the gross out route like rents to be occasionally but maybe didn't go as far there it was maybe a little more clever about it like there was like there was a cleverness mixed in with sort of like the gross out stuff they would do and it had like a really absurd like sort of vibe to it i really enjoyed as a kid and my definitely my favorite nickelodeon show which has been my favorite for many years and it's like and you know always top of mind is the adventures of pete and pete uh, Adventures of Pete and Pete is just such a good show. I still feel that way now. I bought the first two seasons on DVD back in the day when they came out on DVD to revisit them. I wish the third season had come out on DVD. It never did. 
when I was out there. I went the day it came out. I bought that second season on DVD because I just couldn't wait to get my hands on it after watching that first one. It's just such a smart show. It's like it's a show that like you know like even without like any sort of nostalgia or any sort of like fond memory, like just like watching it as an adult. I feel like I could watch as an adult for the first time. Be like, oh, this is just like a really good show. It's about kids. It's about like a suburban world or whatever. It's just so like well crafted, well beautifully shot. You know good acting funny great soundtrack like you know it can be heartwarming at times it's just i think it's just like the pinnacle of like when nickelodeon has ever done in like any decade was the adventures of pete and pete it's i think it's their you know uh greatest you know accomplishment uh as a uh as a network was the adventures of pete and pete. that show is just so good you know there's other fine shows other really good shows shows i enjoyed re-watching shows i loved as a kid but uh, Pete and Pete is uh, just, uh, to me, just, you know, a cut above of the rest. That's, that's, that's definitely my favorite. And that, uh, I think, to m- most people would be very surprising because Nickelodeon, certainly here, is more well known for the animated side mm-hmm. of things, you know, sort of pioneering uh, certain forms of, of animated comedy and such. But uh, I'm sure many will be going to check out the adventures of Pete and Pete because there's a lot of great... Uh, live action stuff as well. I mean, you, you name check Clarissa explains it all in mm-hmm. uh, in the synopsis that I read, and Melissa Joan Hart sort of made a few things for Nickelodeon, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's definitely one of the like breakout stars for Nickelodeon, like in terms of like uh, people who broke out and became like one of the early faces of the network, and just like you know became like a you know star in general. I mean, after. Clarissa, she went on to star in Spirit of the Teenage Witch, which was also a very, you know, popular sitcom piece uh, here. And then, like, you know, like, maybe did not go into an adult acting career necessarily uh, as much. Only, a, you know, a handful of you know, Nickelodeon stars in the 90s did sort of move on into, like, successful adult careers, like a Keenan uh, Thompson or a Christine Taylor, who was on Hate Dude, before she, you know, went on to uh, a further acting career. But, yeah, of course, uh, it explains it all is another one of those, uh, the good sort of live action shows. I'd probably put that second on the list behind uh, Peter Pete in terms of live action shows at least. But there's other, you know, ones that were, you know, fun, maybe don't hold up quite as well as those, like, you know, Salute Your Shorts or, like I said, Hey Dude or, um, you know, other. But yeah, you're, you're, I would say here, even in the United States, it is probably still also thought of primarily as a network for animation and a network for cartoons and like the, like you say, the the Nicktoons and were very sort of like influential. And uh, so definitely like, I think most people think of a Doug or a Hey Arnold or a SpongeBob SquarePants to go to the late nineties, which is, you know, probably their most successful show when that debuted in 1999. So it did make the cut for the book. It definitely is, you know, to many a network for cartoons and animation, but they did do, you know, live action other than just, of course, the game shows because uh, their first two hits were, uh, you know, you can't do that on a television, which started in the '80s, and uh, Double There, which also started in the '80s, which was a, a game show. Those are both, you know, sort of live-action, non—well, not non-scripted, but non-narrative sort of shows. So, you know, they, that's really sort of like they started with live-action and like sort of just like, and then you know, ended up doing basically every kind of show you can do, from like you know, sketch shows to cartoons to news to educational programming nickelodeon did it all in the 90s it's all just in the 90s they did all that 
<laughs> nice pun there uh, at the end. <laughs> they also, yeah, because it's true. They also did all that in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the Nickelodeon 90s cartoons, game shows, and a whole bunch of slime by Chris Morgan is available on Amazon and all good booksellers. Uh, thanks, Chris, for being on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me. It was nice to find out a little more about Nickelodeon in the United Kingdom. You know, I learned some things here that, uh, you know, will be uh, interesting to maybe look into further myself, uh, you know, just for the, the sake of it. Because, you know, I wrote the book and everything, but I still love the 90s Nickelodeon. I still love television. Still interested in learning more things. So uh, it was an interesting conversation on my end of things, too. Thank you for listening to 90s and Noughties UK, a podcast on UK pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. Please remember to rate, comment and subscribe on your favourite podcast provider. If you want to contact the show, email 90sandnoughties at gmail.com, tweet us on at 90sandnoughties UK on Twitter, or check us out on Facebook, 90s and Noughties UK. 